Hey there, it's Taylor Ray here with my co-host Ryan. If you have story suggestions, news tips, corrections, or comments on anything we discuss on our show, please contact us by commenting on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1PVS2P, on Twitter at 1PVS2P underscore podcast, or by emailing us, podcast at 1PVS2P.com. You can also record a voicemail or send us a text to 571-418-GAME. That's 571-418-4263. Record or write in, and we might just read or play your message on our next episode. Bethesda stops giving press early copies of its games, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare drops, and the next Tomb Raider game leaks on a subway. Plus this week's other new games and more. It's Friday, November 4th, 2016, and you're listening to the 1P versus 2P podcast. I'm Ryan Wright. Taylor is unfortunately sick this week, so this week you get a solo cast from us. So we're going to start off with First Attack. First Attack! The top stories from this past week in gaming news. Bethesda, the makers of popular game franchises like Skyrim, Dishonored, and Fallout, is just the latest game publisher not rushing to have their games reviewed by Games Press. Uh, in a blog post last week, Bethesda global content lead and former games journal himself, Gary Steinman, explained that Bethesda, quote, values media reviews, but will now only send out review code of their games a day before launch, making it pretty much impossible for you to complete their games and uh, have a review up the day that they are out on launch day. Uh, here's a quote from the press release that they said, uh, with the upcoming launches of Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored 2, we'll continue our policy of sending media review copies one day before release. Uh, why will we continue to work with media, streamers, and YouTubers to support their coverage, both before and after release? We want everyone, including those in the media, to experience our games at the same time. End quote. Now, uh, I do want to note here that uh, they did say that they wanted people in the media to experience these games at the same time, but there's actually documented evidence of a YouTuber getting the uh, Skyrim Special Edition about a month before it officially released. He uh, was very surprised that Bethesda actually sent out a uh, early copy of the game to him uh, with the explicit uh, idea that he would make video coverage for Skyrim Special Edition. This is just the latest in a string of incidents where a lot of game publishers aren't that interested in having game traditional games press uh, covering their games pre-release and potentially uh, cutting down on pre-release hype or uh, potentially uh, affecting their pre-order numbers. Yeah, I think this is kind of a bad look personally for Bethesda. Uh, their games tend to vary in uh, quality. Uh, generally, I, I would say that they're pretty good. Uh, however, they usually release pretty buggy, uh, pretty buggy open world games, pretty janky. Uh, Fallout 4, uh, any of the Fall games actually. The Elder Scrolls series, also very uh, buggy. Uh, Skyrim Special Edition actually launched with a number of audio uh, issues and a ton of other bugs that weren't present in the uh, earlier versions of that game. This is, of course, the remaster that recently came out. And uh, yeah, I think this is them trying to, to, to claw back a little bit of that control. You know, I think Games Press used to be this really, like, enthusiast, excited, like, people who were really big gamers who really just wanted to talk about and write about uh, games. And now a lot of that excitement has kind of moved over to the YouTube scene. Uh, you see a lot of people stream, uh, streaming a lot more games. And uh, that has kind of really uh, rankled the traditional games press 
because, uh, you know, they're just not the young, hip, and frankly, the people who uh, their audience is really trying to, to get after with these game publishers. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a really frustrating move for people like us. We do like to have pre-release copies of games so we can get a timely review uh, done in, in, in time to give you our, our real impressions. And it's kind of hard to do that, uh, particularly if it's a longer game, uh, like let's say it's an open-world RPG like a lot of the Bethesda games are, um, to really say uh, give our impressions before we've actually played it. And, uh, you know, these games can take anywhere from 40 to 100 hours to complete. And uh, if you don't know going in into it, uh, into a purchasing decision, what a game is going to be like. Uh, you're relying a lot on on the game publisher and developer to be honest with you. And uh, as we we saw with the situation with uh, No Man's Sky, sometimes that uh, marketing can be a little disingenuous, and sometimes it's it's a lot of I wouldn't say lying, but a lot of uh, hype that that really gets people's expectations out of line with what the actual game is. Yeah, it's 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 a really uh, puzzling position that they've taken, particularly since their one of their games PR people is basically a former uh, journalist who probably would be upset if he was on the other end of this. As far as your your everyday gamer is concerned, I'm not that sure that this is going to affect them too much, other than to say that you probably won't be seeing a lot of day one reviews of games, uh, at least from Bethesda. Um, Kotaku famously uh, not too long ago. Uh, reported that they've had been blacklisted before by Bethesda, and uh, you know it's 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 really something where I think you have to condition yourself if you're interested in pre-ordering a game that you have to kind of distinguish between um, whether the review offerings are are something legitimate, uh, you know, totally untainted by the publisher, or if it's if it's something where the publisher is trying to avoid um, a little bit of the critique, a little bit of the you know avoiding some of the commentary about some of the problems that they may have with the game. And it's, it's, it's really, really frustrating position, especially because, you know, (laughs) we're being charged now these days for uh, early access games. Um, You know, battlefields one, if you paid for the special edition of the game, the early enlister edition, that was like a a $20 add on. uh, If you were interested in playing the game three days early and uh, I don't know necessarily if that's always a great idea because multiplayer servers aren't always going to be spun up correctly. Um, it may be p- laggy pre-release. Uh, it, it's hard to say. It's it's definitely on a game uh, that game by game basis. So uh, buyer beware with a lot of this stuff. I know for myself personally, I don't pre-order a lot of Bethesda games. I don't pre-order a lot of <laughs> games. Period. Actually, uh, it's really just the game franchises that I know I'm um, super invested in, super interested in. Um, typically, these these tend to be the like uh, Japanese role playing games for myself personally. But yeah, you're gonna have to uh, be very careful with. Uh, the kind of coverage that you uh, see on a game and uh, where exactly the reviewer may may or may not have gotten their review copy. So yeah, we'll uh, stay tuned to this issue and see if this is kind of the uh, standard procedure here from games publishers moving forward. Microsoft last week had a very interesting event, uh, mostly centered around the fact that they are going to be releasing a new category of low-cost VR headsets powered by a new update to Windows 10. 
Starting at $300, this new Microsoft headset uh, will be made by several computer companies, and it will run on a completely new VR platform in the Windows 10 Creators update without the need for additional accessories or a complicated setup process. They seem to be uh, kind of jabbing a little bit at the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift for having a pretty complicated procedure for actually plugging in the headset into your computer. Unfortunately, their proof of concept for this was a basic demo showing just a virtual space where you can watch TV or use apps like Skype and Microsoft Paint in VR, which, (laughs) to be honest with you, I'm not super interested in. I I think VR has some very cool applications for games, but we haven't really seen a killer app that has really delivered on the promise of, of the VR headset. And for that matter, we're already kind of getting the second revision uh, probably of the Vive and the uh, Rift pretty soon here. So it's hard to say, you know, that, that this hardware is even set in stone. So, however, with the, the release of the PSVR, uh, I think there is kind of an untapped market uh, interest for low-end VR. You know, if it's, it's certainly a lot simpler, a lot cheaper to uh, get on board with this technology, I think this would be super interesting for uh, businesses. I'm not sure that it really has uh, much application for games, but compared to their HoloLens, which <laughs> costs about $3,000, and it was kind of shown as kind of like a uh, you know AR simulator, you're going to be able to play Minecraft with HoloLens. Uh, you know that at three thousand dollars, that's not really an economic reality for most people. And uh, if they if they make you know VR. A cheap VR work for uh, games like Minecraft, uh, maybe a game like uh, Dragon, Dragon Quest Builders, if that ever came out on the Windows 10 store, for example. Um, that might be a, a better application for this kind of setup. I uh, also want to mention briefly here that they also uh, said that they're going to have their own game streaming overlay, much like Twitch. Uh, they Microsoft uh, bought a company called Beam, and uh, they're going to be incorporating some of that technology that they bought into the uh, Windows 10 OS uh, with a free update, pitching this as basically a lot simpler than um, some of the other streaming software out there, Twitch, uh, OBS, uh, a lot of the the software, as we can attest to, because we've tried to run streams, uh, it's it can get pretty complicated pretty quickly. Microsoft is also trying to pitch this. Um, this is going to be a solution on the PC and also the Xbox One, and uh, it's going to have some ultra-low latency uh, options, so you're going to be able to interact with whoever is broadcasting the stream uh, with a much lower lag than, than typical normal streaming methods. Um, if you've seen some of the Twitch streams, you know, of your favorite streamers, uh, you know, sometimes the the scroll of chat doesn't really link up, sync up so much with the gameplay footage or whatever is being shown on the screen. So if Microsoft can kind of figure this out, I think that is a good move for them. I would rather see them honestly partner with Twitch because I think that's on a lot of where the gaming streaming is going. You know, if this, if this worked seamlessly between Xbox one and the PC, I could see this being a really big deal for them down the road. All right, let's move on to new video game releases. I love new releases. All right, this week we have call of duty, infinite warfare out for PS4, Xbox one PC today. Uh, this year's Call of Duty is uh, pre-release, slated to be the least excited fans of the series have been for a long time. 
Most of the single-player campaign takes place in space, and the multiplayer imagines you as a mercenary wearing mech suits. If you played the beta that was uh, out not too long ago, I gave my impressions of that uh, on an earlier episode, but the long and short, uh, short of that is basically that I didn't think it was a whole lot of fun. The controls uh, didn't seem to work quite right. It seemed a little bit slow for the kind of fast-paced twitch shooter that they're kind of going for here. And uh, ju- just ju- judging by the YouTube comments and the busy schedule for shooters this year, Battlefield 1 came out two weeks ago. Titanfall 2 also came out this past week. Uh, it may be an off year for a Call of Duty, and uh, that's that's really a bad sign. Uh, hopefully, the final product is, uh, is very good, but uh, if this is like Call of Duty Ghosts, I don't think a lot of people are going to be super interested. It almost seems kind of like that the inclusion of Modern Warfare Remastered is kind of uh, uh, an acknowledgement that not a lot of people are super interested in the new Infinite Warfare. But uh, anyway, this year's celebrity COD villain is Kit Harington, best known as Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. And the game does have a 1980s-themed zombies mode that features David Hasselhoff. And apparently there are a lot of uh, 1980s Easter eggs in this zombies mode. So if you're into uh, Call of Duty zombies, maybe give that mode a try. It's it certainly piqued my interest with a little bit of that aesthetic. All right, we also have this week Owlboy uh, out for... PC. This is a game that has long been in the making, almost a decade. Uh, If you haven't heard of this game, this is basically a platformer. Uh, The inspiration from it came actually from Super Mario Bros. 3's Tanuki suit, although with reverse mechanics in this game, you play as a man in an owl suit who uh, basically flies around, explores his environment. And uh, the game was originally in mind for the Wii, starting development in 2007. And uh, the development team was uh, really worried about how the fans' expectation uh, might play into uh, what this game might actually release as. The game's creator, who's Norwegian, actually suffered from depression. It was just a a long-running thing that this was probably going to be like the uh, indie game scenes like Duke Nukem Forever, that it was never going to come out. Well, thankfully now it's out, and uh, depending on how well it does, the developer is considering doing a port for consoles, but it's been getting a lot of uh, pre-release hype. Uh, It has a very, very uh, cool art style, and I hear the soundtrack is actually very, very good. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to check it out. I, I love <laughs> the Tanuki suit mechanic in Mario Brothers 3. And for me, that is where I uh, was definitely on board for playing Owlboy. And also, a <laughs> finally, a, a major release, I'm sure, for Nintendo, Mario Party Star Rush out for 3DS. Uh, this is the just the latest in the Mario Party franchise. I'm not sure who these portable Mario Party single-player games are for, but... Uh, apparently there's some sort of appetite for them um but anyway star rush uh the main change of the franchise is they've actually taken away some of the turn blaze turn-based board gameplay with the ability to kind of move at will simultaneously and without set paths on the game board with which at that point like are we even talking about a mario party game anymore come on and uh, i was reading and watching some of the uh, trailers for this game and apparently there are boss battles in this game there isn't really the opportunity to play much as a lot of the Mario series characters. They uh, appear in-game, obviously, but uh, it seems like the game's main mode is Toad Scramble, in which you all players play as Toad. And, like, uh, I don't know, man. If you're just interested in making a Toad game, like, that's fine. Just don't call it Mario Party. Call it, like, Mario Party Toad Palooza or something like that. There was a Captain Toad game on the Wii U that uh, was probably pretty decent, I, I just, I don't know where they're going with this Mario Party game. 
franchise. It's just, it seems like they're totally missing the boat of what people actually like about Mario Party, uh, which is like a mini game collection that's pretty simplistic. It's, it's light fun. Totally seems like a, a misread on what the fans of Mario Party actually are interested in. We also have some new video game announcements this past week. Here comes a new Platformer Night in the Woods was officially given a release date. It's coming January 10th of next year for PC, Mac, Linux, and PS4. If you haven't heard of this game, Night in the Woods is a story-based platforming game with a storybook look that takes place in a city run by animals. Uh, Think Animal Crossing mixed with the whimsy of something like Grow Home, and you've basically got the game idea in your head. It it has some very interesting uh, art to it, definitely a lot of dialogue, and uh, yeah, if you're interested in this kind of indie game, uh, I would definitely check it out next year. The name of the next Tomb Raider game <laughs> leaked because uh, one of the developers was working on a PowerPoint slide and had it open on his laptop in the subway. If you want to keep something secret, do not <laughs> work on a laptop in in the subway in, in public. But anyway, the name of the game is called Shadow of the Tomb Raider. It popped up uh, in a subway in Montreal, uh, unofficially announcing Eidos Montreal's take on the rebooted Tomb Raider games. Um, the previous two games were made by Crystal Dynamics, but the game's publisher, Square Enix, has said now that they're going to want to take a risk with a new team after their, uh, the team... Uh, Eidos Montreal's relative success with Deus Ex Mankind Divided. That was the last game that they worked on. And uh, I didn't even know that there was going to be a a third game in this new Tomb Raider reboot franchise. Uh, This is probably your reminder to uh, go back and play Rise of the Tomb Raider if you haven't yet. Uh, That's been getting uh, great reviews. And uh, there's it's on PC, it's on PS4, it's it's on Xbox One. It's probably pretty cheap to check out. Uh, That first Tomb Raider... Uh, reboot game was a pretty good kind of had you know a new take on the the tomb raider franchise had a little bit of uh, the batman counter uh combat mechanics and uh actually the tomb raiding was was quite fun a lot of these uh like separate puzzle tombs i'm uh, a little bit curious about what they're gonna where they're gonna take this with the shadow of the tomb raider game that's uh supposedly coming we don't have an official date or uh, platforms but it's probably going to be on uh pc ps4 and xbox one Nintendo also uh, came out with a news for a Dragon Quest VIII 3DS remake that's going to be out in the U.S. uh, January 20th of next year. They're not quite abandoning the 3DS just yet with the announcement of the Switch. If you're not familiar with Dragon Quest VIII, this is the PS2 entry in the series that arguably got lots of people interested in the Dragon Quest franchise at the time. And uh, it feels like not that long ago that the 3DS remake of Dragon Quest VII came out. But between uh, Dragon Quest Builders and Dragon Quest Heroes, it seems like the heavy JRPG franchise is gaining a lot more traction and a lot more attention in the West. And I think that's a good thing because I really like monster collecting games. I think the Dragon Quest games have a lot, a very cute aesthetic. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those franchises that's really uh, hung in there. The Dragon Quest games themselves, kind of uh, long in the tooth, a lot of uh, dialogue, a lot of menus, and a very traditional role-playing game. And I think... Uh, Dragon Quest VIII is kind of where they diverge into the more uh, modern JRPG uh, sensibilities. All right, since Taylor's not here, it's going to be kind of a short show this week, but let's wrap it up with the bonus stage. Missing number, the glitch Pokemon never officially acknowledged in Pokemon Red and Blue, has been hacked into Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, the last Pokemon games. 
A modder by the name of VG Moose used open source tools to build the mod and even programmed an arcane set of steps you need to unlock him, just like Missing Number's original appearance. Wow, I can't believe that Missing Number is still a thing that people are interested in Pokemon, but uh, good for them. I just... Nintendo needs to really embrace the wacky nature of some of the Pokemon fandom and just get on board, make make a uh, missing number Pokemon card, and uh, let that be the end of it. They need to add them to the Pokedex. And uh, finally, Deadly Premonition's Hidetaka Sweary 65 Suhiro is leaving Access Games after a year-long health break. Uh, in a tweet, Sweary 65 told fans that although his re- uh, reactive hypoglycemia is getting better, he will be retiring after 12 years at the company, making uh, such crazy games as Deadly Premonition, uh, D4 that was out, that was that Connect game uh, on Xbox One, and uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, hope hopefully he uh, gets back into games. He's a he's a really cool game developer, interacts great with the fans, and uh, has some really neat ideas. Uh, hope hope he uh, feels well soon. All right, that's it for the solo cast of this week's show. Remember to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn, or Clamor. Or you could bookmark our website, 1PVS2P.com, where you can read our gaming blog, too. I have recently posted a review of Titanfall 2 and uh, a little blog about uh, how much how hard it is for backwards compatibility to continue to be a thing. Uh, our sources for this week's stories ha- have been posted at the link in the show notes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on Twitter. We're very active there at 1PVS2P underscore podcast. As always, thank you to Phonetic Hero for letting us play his music for our show. Coffee Stomp and Super Manly Brothers X both are part of the compilation project Chiptunes Equals Win. I'm Ryan Ray. Taylor Ray is normally my co-host. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week. <laughs>